My name is Josh Alvarez. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 109 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. I know. So much triumph. So much triumph. I, I mean, look, it. look, I look. I'm not, I'm not saying the, the pandemic isn't a huge thing because it's huge. It's stressing out Josh. It's stressing out me. It's stressing out lots of people we know. It's killing people. It's a very serious thing. But I will say I feel like we're winning a little bit by recording again so soon. Yeah, man, you gotta take the power back from the virus, yeah. dog. <laughs> you gotta watch movies and gab yeah. to your buddy yeah. about it. That's what you gotta yeah. do. It's just I'm saying, man, survival takes different faces, Liam. You just gotta we're be small, ready. We're a small part of the tide turning. Me and you, small, <laughs> small part of the tide turning. <laughs> yeah, something like it. I'm definitely down with turning some yeah, tide. One hundred percent. So yeah, so welcome to episode one hundred and nine of Cinepunks. Yeah. And uh, as always, we'd like to start by thanking first and foremost our sponsors, uh, the good people at the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, xlvacx.com, and Chris Reject and uh, his operation, uh, just like the rest of the world, they're uh, you know going through stuff because of this pandemic stuff, but those guys have always been really awesome for us and really awesome to us. And um, I just want Chris to know I really appreciate him reaching out and saying hi to, to me. And uh, just keeping me in his thoughts. Yeah. I do appreciate that stuff. So big up to LVAC. And thank you guys for uh, for being awesome friends, Go. especially in these trying so times. So what you want to do is you want to order shirts. You do that at xlvacx.com. And whatever it is that you were thinking about shirts for, even if it's a silly, goofy shirt that you're just going to sell to your friends, now is the time to do it to support them and really to get yourself out there making some extra money while you're waiting for the virus to end anyway. Uh, but also, if you go to... Uh, chris's um limited run site that's a square of opposition limited run uh he has a bunch of lvac stuff for sale that benefits the shop as well so that he can keep you know paying his workers and sort of keep things going while he's not doing a ton of business and i'll tell you what these lvac designs on these sweatshirts they're next level they are sick they're totally dope he even has some of these uh bootleg bart hats that's right he's he's breaking the law the bart law for you people (laughs) you better appreciate it so punk. so go to square go to the square of opposition <laughs> website go to xlvacx.com uh you know make it happen for them we also yeah, we man. also want to thank our patreon subscribers i just put up something for patrons only it's okay it could be better it's all right <laughs> but it's i think it's a good start uh and i'd really like feedback if you're a patreon uh supporter and you would like to uh let us know what you think and what you would like from us do you want josh to just like hop on his computer and do 15 minutes of songs or something like that's cool do you want justin lure to get into some real cryptid weirdo shit with you that's fine whatever it is just let us know what it is you're looking for and we're going to try to like you know put up some more content again the reality is we all have stuff going on josh is still working justin is actually back to working again i'm not working but i'm you know, taking care of Maeve while my wife works. So we all have a lot of stuff going on, but we're trying to make it happen for you. Uh, and along those lines, I want to say a big thank you, thank you, thank you to uh, one of our newer editors, a gentleman named Adam Stovall. He's been hosting these Instagram live events on our Instagram, talking to various people about all kinds of stuff, about uh, their top five title sequences or their favorite movie monologues or whatever it is and i just really appreciate the effort he's putting into that and uh i want to thank all the people who've been guests on that as well um will perkins and justin the liberty and a bunch of people so hey thanks for doing that y'all i really appreciate it yeah man that's totally awesome and also uh just as a side note i would like to mention that uh at a particular patreon level 
Liam O'Donnell will call you and just make mouth noises into the phone. You know for what? Minutes. You know what? <laughs> it's so Josh good. Is, it's so good. But that's behind. That's behind the Patreon paywall. I think I, I, I see. I see what's happening here. You and Lore had your attack on my mustache. You saw that the mustache attack wasn't going to play out for you, and now your new line of attack is the mouth noises. Because you know, I actually feel very bad about my mouth noises, and I feel like a big fat loud wheezy weirdo but i'm not gonna let you bring me <laughs> down if you pay if you pay more he won't call you <laughs> that's the level <laughs> that's true i'm gonna start calling all of our patreon people until they pay more money yeah. <laughs> that's it it's just mouth noise it's gonna be good it's gonna be really good but uh anyway You're yeah a monster so we're at episode 109 and i'm monsterly i'm just playing i'm just playing you know but um I'm happy to be able to talk to you, man. This is definitely one of the highlights oh, of the God, week. Oh, <laughs> God, man. It's been tough. I mean, I guess we will cover some of the ways it's been tough in a, in a section real quick, but it is just a highlight to talk to you, to watch these movies that you chose for us. This week, y'all, we're, we're talking about two kind of feel-good films, or at least Josh identified them as feel-good films. I'll be honest. If if this was <laughs> were my feel-good films, at least one would uh would probably be like maniac or something like that you know what i mean like there'd be something like not feel good at all because i'm an i'm a jerk like that but uh josh picked these two as feel good films and i gotta be honest i felt pretty good watching them yeah 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 yeah. it's funny um so when the last week or the last episode 108 liam had picked uh two john woo movies and uh we talked about them they were a lot of fun was that last one no max von sida was the last one Oh shit! Yeah, Max. Yeah. One. No, the last you one picked that you the John picked Woo movie. Yes, I did. And then you picked the Max von Sydow. I did. Movie. I did. So then this one, Liam was like, "Well, what do you want to watch? What do you, What are your picks?" And um, I was like, "Yo, let's watch some feel good movies because it's like some pretty dark days, and I definitely could use like some type of uplift in terms of the art that we're consuming." But really, what I wanted to say was, um, feel good movie is good, but really. The kind of movie I was thinking of, the kind of movie that these two movies that we discussed for this episode, I normally refer to as Evo Tomas movies. A big up to uh, oh. friend of the podcast, Evo, who... Um, Word up, Evo. Yeah, that dude's... Um, you know, I haven't seen my mans in a minute just because I haven't seen anyone in a minute unless you work with me or live with <laughs> yeah. me. And um, the live with me is Melani, Me- my wife. Who's in the room with me hanging out right now because we have nowhere else to go. She says hello, everybody. And George, <laughs> that's it. Those are the only people that are non-work related that I see. But um, Evo is one of my best friends and, uh, you know, texts pretty regularly and all that stuff. And we had a tradition before when I used to live on Howard Street where he'd come over like practically every night. I mean, you got to understand, Liam, we were both like single. We're both working like day shift at the hospital and uh, we kind of had like low overheads we weren't really doing much i wasn't really playing in too many bands at the time but we'd come over sure Evo would come over and we would watch like all these movies and we would watch movies while eating ice cream sandwiches and pizzas and stuff and it was super like it was a fun time i mean like okay that that kind of period of time has to end you know you can't live like that forever but that said for what it was it was a really good time and uh the movies that evo typically responded to the most were the ones that like would leave you with a feeling of like You've been through some shit. You made it out the other side, sure. and now you feel yeah. much better. 
movies like The Motel, if you've seen that movie, or um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Even though it's kind of a bummer of a movie at the end, it's still like one of those movies that makes you feel pretty well, happy. Well, they're kind of like they're kind of like resilience movies or something. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Movies That's about like say. overcoming something or getting past something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was what I had in mind when you asked me two movies to pick for this week, and I was like, man, I need some. I mean. The ideal scenario would be that I could see you and I could see Evo and we could have a discussion with all three of us about these kinds of movies, but such is the case that we cannot do that currently. But this this is the second this is the second close pace close second place as it were, and uh, I'm happy to talk about this with you. And I would also like to uh, offer uh, this episode to my homeboy Evo just because I haven't seen him and I miss him so. As a sacrifice so he doesn't kill us. Yeah, this one's for you, Evo. This one's for (laughs) for my man, Evo. (laughs) I appreciate that. Hopefully he actually hears it. That would be good. I definitely don't think he's going to listen to it. But uh, (laughs) it was funny. When I was in Hey Angel, I wrote a song about Evo called Notes to 40. And um, every time we used to play it, I'd point up at the sky and be like, this one's for you, Evo. Because listeners of the show, I'm not (laughs) sure if you know, Evo is six foot eight. And... um, I wouldn't point at him, but I'd point into the sky and be like, this one's for you, Evo. And everyone would be like, oh, shit, is Evo okay? <laughs> like, yeah, he's fine. He's just really tall. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pointing up in the sky right now. And I'm like, yeah, Evo, this one's for you, dog. Not only do I love, Josh, that you live off of these corny-ass jokes, <laughs> but that you retell, you find scenarios to retell your corny jokes later. You are welcome, Liam O'Donnell, and <laughs> they make me really happy. Actually, <laughs> I want to bust on you because of all this mouth noise garbage you've been putting me through. But the reality is, I actually do like it. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is, I actually do like your mouth noise, Liam. <laughs> that was a little ASMR for everybody. Well, I think it's time we do that. Um, that yeah, uh, don't we do segment. something? We do something yeah. at this part of the show all the oh time, don't God, we? Oh, my God. We do it every single time, and I can't remember what it is. It's just funny that my memory always lapses right here, right before no, like, we do the right thing. right here, we're always like, oh, let's do the thing. It's called breaking and quaking. No, yeah, no, like, no, no. It's called... Uh, um, freaking and sneaking. Uh, shaking and bacon? Is, no, that's not You it. know, none of these things actually work with what it is. I don't know why I went down this, this particular <laughs> road of weird alliteration. <laughs> You know, that should be the name of our show, A Weird Road of Strange Deliberation, or whatever the fuck he just said. <laughs> Alliter- alliteration. <laughs> Same difference. It doesn't matter. None of this shit matters. Uh, you know, tomato, tomato. But anyway, at this point in the show, we like to do a segment that is known as <gasps> Whacking on Track. Man, you did that real good, Liam. I held it for a while. That's, that was that's good. my new style. That that's my really new nice. thing. <laughs> So, Liam, what have you done lately that was whack? <laughs> well, <laughs> so um, I, it's hard because our usual vibe on whack and on track is it's a bunch of on track stuff and maybe like one whack if we're lucky. And yeah. that's it. And that would be unlucky. If we're unlucky, one whack. But, man, I don't know about you, Josh, but um, everything's really whack right now. Have you noticed that? No idea what you're talking about. Go on. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I don't know when you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's in a, a future in which we have conquered the coronavirus or, you know, are at least still alive. Uh, but right now, we're in the grips of quarantine. And, uh, you know, I'm already tired of Zoom and social media and house party. These are the only things that keep me connected. And I'm so sick of them. 
Cause I just, I just want to be in the room with people, you know, and luckily it's, you know, we're both lucky. We have our partners. I could not imagine being a single person in an apartment right now. I would lose, I'd, I would just have to crash with friends and just say, hopefully none of you are sick because I can't get sick right now. But that would, you know, I just couldn't do it. I'm just, I'm too social a person and I'm seeing it kind of wear on Maeve too. Like we, you know, luckily we live in an area with a lot of nature and I feel more comfortable taking her to nature than I would to like a city street or something just because more people. Right. But I will say like, even that hasn't been so great because a, when we do see people, Maeve wants to talk to other kids. She's a very social child, which is like, I love that about her. It's like one of my favorite things about her. And yet I have to constantly be like, no, honey, we can't go play with those other kids right now. Like we got to stay over here and whatever. And she just doesn't, I mean, why would she get it? She's three years old. But I mean, not like she's not listening to me, but I feel like it's having an effect on her and it really bums me out. Let alone the fact that that's assuming that whoever is out there in the woods is like a normal adult who understands the danger we're facing. Every once in a while you interact with people who just are like, everything's normal and I'm going to get up all on your grill. And I'm like, oh, when I get sick, I'm going to trace it back to this moment when this person would not respect my boundaries. <laughs> so, you know, it's that stuff just is old and being stuck inside is old. And, and I think this is one you'll resonate with. Um, I'm tired of our friends who have more free time and less responsibilities than us posting about all the fun they're having in quarantine. I mean, not that everyone's having fun. Even people with no responsibilities are getting tired of this shit. And, and I respect that. But, uh, but I do like when someone's like, oh, I don't know, I've watched all my streaming. I'm like, I can barely, <laughs> I can barely get a couple episodes in of stuff, man, let alone a full movie. So like, you know, I appreciate that you're not, you know, having to do full-time childcare. All right, buddy. Like, <laughs> or like for you not having to go to work, like, you, well, I'm sure you'll get into it, but my man, Josh guys is having a tough time. And it sucks. And so, you know, whack right now is like all that stuff on track. Obviously, we're cinepunks. <laughs> we're, we're 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 the cinepunks, and so you know from listening to our show, we never just leave on a down moment. That's not because we're PMA, because I think PMA is stupid, but it is because uh, I I refuse to rob people of hope, and I have seen lots of reasons to be hopeful right now. It's just it's still in the midst of of real hardship. So I I have to say, on track has been a lot of the art I've seen people making, a lot of the ways people have been helping each other, a lot of the ways that we're all sort of like coming together in the face of a government that clearly doesn't give a fuck about us and is doing nothing to help us right now so like that's all kind of encouraging as far as actual media um you know Maeve's been with us a lot and we've taken this opportunity to try to show her stuff since we don't have the time to watch stuff that we like rather than just watching the stuff she likes over and over again like how much vampirina or how much <laughs> true can we really watch so we started showing her miyazaki movies and that's been great you know seeing her respond to totoro and respond to ponyo has been super cool but then some friends on the internet recommended we try out uh avatar the last airbender which i've never watched and apparently i'm like the only one in america <laughs> or not even america in the world who hasn't watched that show and we're about 20 episodes in now and josh it's so good it's so good and i can't believe i didn't watch it when it was like relevant when yeah, it was like dude. on tv i just missed it i didn't know it was good it's one of those cosplays that every time i'm at a convention and someone's dressed like ang or any of the other people in that show i get real psyched every single time and it's one of those things that everybody does like i haven't been to a con yet where not one person at least like not one bald person has like the arrow drawn on their head and the orange gi on 
and it definitely makes me stoked every time. It's just it 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 really brilliantly combines like somewhat impressive martial arts stuff with cartoony stuff. Like every time the show starts to have too many stakes and starts to be too dark, something goofy and funny happens. Like it always cuts the tension and not in a way that robs a show. It helps a show and it helps it appeal to kids and it helps that again and again, the show empowers kids and, and focuses on young people and, and really makes a fool of older people. And I think that really appeals to the audience and (laughs) still appeals to me as a 40 year old. But um, I think it really is appealing to Maeve and she's starting to like remember characters names and get really into it even at three years old. So that's been fun to watch that. That's definitely um, on track, I will say also on track. Though I, I'll attach a whack to it at the end. Like everyone in America, I watched Tiger King, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I couldn't do it, man. Could not. I tried. Me and Milani watched episode one, and then I was like, I'm out. I can't. Cannot. I I I'll be honest. I love it, just like everybody <laughs> else. I love it. I think it's great. The whack to me is the response because, look, do I think that. Joe Exotic didn't exactly get an entirely fair trial. I think that that's true, actually. I think they railroaded him on some stuff. I don't think he really planned to murder that awful woman who basically just does what all the other people do but pretends she's helping animals. Like, I get all that. But to then be like, and that's why we all love Joe Exotic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Joe Exotic is still a fucking monster. Like, he still mistreats those tigers. He still started what was supposed to be a sanctuary and made it about his own ego, his own self. And then he treated everyone around him like trash. So, like, don't come out here just because you watch this show and be like, oh, free Joe Exotic. He's uh, so (laughs) get out of my face. The whole reason the show works is because all of the subjects of the show are awful monsters. They're all monsters. There's no hero of the show. There might be individual characters like guy uh, who's missing uh, both his legs from the knee down. He actually is kind of charming or the head zookeeper guy who in the first episode has a clutch shirt on. That guy's actually, <laughs> you know, kind of fun. Like you can tell he really cares about the animals. So like there are, there are things, but they all still were a part of Joe Exotic's bullshit. So like even if you find things to appreciate about them and to appreciate the humanity of the show to valorize them or to make them heroes is is fucked up and i get that's how the internet works is that we just joke about things we don't take them seriously but i just think in this case i'm not a i'm not into that you know you're not party to it you're not buying a joe exotic t-shirt or anything no i think it's fucked up man especially because like if we're just going to go around saying like everyone who got a free trial should be fucking have t-shirts made about them well guess what that there's whole prisons filled with those people (laughs) and some of them are far less creepy than joe exotic some of them are more creepy and so like don't get me wrong i think we should free joe exotic but that's because i want to free all prisoners especially considering joe exotic and thousands of other prisoners now have covid because we don't take care of our prisons because we're fucking a bloodthirsty society that must you know punish these people to make ourselves feel good so like yeah i'm anti-prisons but there's a difference between wanting a different system and actually valorizing a man who abused tigers for like 20 some years you know what i mean like Mm. i just think that's i just think that's fucked up and i really think that we should all know deep in our hearts that all the money he spent and all these monsters spent like the one character the one i say character but the one guy says in the movie could have been spent actually protecting tigers in the wild which is what actually matters is protecting wild animals in the wild 
animals don't have to be cute for you to care about them. Tigers, it is true that tigers and lions act in a way that's similar to house cats. They do, but they're also 800 pound killing machines. So like, yeah, they'll cuddle you, but they'll also fuck you up. I mean, (laughs) my house cat fucks me up and it's a cat. You know what I'm saying? Like this idea that like the only reason we could care about these tigers is if we keep them from being bloodthirsty beasts is just stupid. It's stupid anthropomorphism bullshit. And I, it makes me so mad. It makes me, it's, it's like all those videos of like reunited with his, with a bear cub. They hug. <laughs> in the, all those videos are stupid. They're <laughs> terrible. And the people who like them are monsters. Yeah, get out of my face. So that's wow. my luck. Okay. I will say uh, two more things on track to, before we switch to you. I heard a demo today from a band called fuse. It's on, spotify it's very very good um and i recommend that you know it's it's i gotta say i don't know a whole lot about this band um other than the demo was posted by my man uh devin uh boudreau of uh rejection pack and uh he uh he posted this band's demo and i thought oh man this is like right up my alley um but I don't know, like, are they a Detroit band? Are they whatever? <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Um, I just know I, I gave it a chance and was like, uh, this is my, this is my jam. This you were like, you were stoked on it. I also checked out uh, a single from a band called Fearing, who I'd never heard before. That's sort of like a, uh, they're kind of like a, a post punk, not quite like death rock, but that sort of vibe, you know. Mm. Um, they kind of remind me of death bells a little bit but that's i'm sure that association is because i'm largely ignorant of that kind of music you know what i'm saying of death rock not just death rock but like anything vaguely gothy mm. is like i sometimes dig it but I, it's like outside my you know what i mean like yeah 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 you know you just don't like have the, like the vocabulary for it yeah i like the cure i like depeche mode and then i like some newer bands i've heard but like if someone was like well this band draws more strongly from <laughs> christian death i'd be like okay well i know that one christian death <laughs> record but that's it you know what i mean like i yeah. know that one sisters of mercy record i know that couple of uh of uh, Sushi and the Banshees records, you know what I mean? But, like, I don't know the whole thing enough to know, like, if... I mean, maybe uh, Fearing is a poser band, and I just am a, 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 a poser when it comes to goth stuff. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> a goth I'm poser? Okay with that. Is that what you are? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All I know is that uh, someone posted the single. I went and listened to it. I was like, oh, this shit's hot. So give it give it a listen. Let me know if I'm a, if I'm a poser when it comes to post-punk goth stuff. <laughs> Big up to... Uh, Rob Skvarla and Sam Deegan and their show, the evil eye podcast on our network because uh, oh, yeah. they're the true barometer of whether or not it's goth. So I'm, I'm, I think that's very true. Actually. I really do think that they know so much. Yeah. I'm hoping that they chime in on this, whether or not Liam's a goth poser debate. <laughs> that's not a debate. Well, I just, no one cares. I, yeah. I just mean in the sense of like my taste, like I, I'm not saying because I like it, it's like the best uh, or, or even like, trying to describe it i don't necessarily know what to compare it to mm-hmm. but as far as like i don't consider myself goth at all so uh, you know i wouldn't can't be a poser of something i am not but uh <laughs> i also heard a band out of new band uh just put up um uh, a single uh from their record company Badmouth recordings the band's called prime um i think they're from louisville uh it's very very good um i just heard it today so i thought i'd bring it up so those those are good things as far as movies and stuff i just haven't had time mostly watching stuff just for the podcast nice so what about you josh 
man do you remember when louisville hardcore meant like a certain sound and a certain oh thing? yeah that was like oh my, yeah one of my favorite epochs in hardcore was that just because that was initial records like so that was what like oh i know dagger and like dude elliot those kinds of bands ah oh, man so good but um as far as my I wife mean, n- now the biggest band out of louisville is knock loose yeah heard of them that's how i know they're big <laughs> Because <laughs> I actually heard that band. I mean, I like that Miracle Drug band. That's for, they're very good. They're but, from uh, Louisville. Oh yeah. Ah. There they're go. sort of like the the old heads of that scene in a way. And what's funny is because they they are a little bit older and their sound is a little bit older. You'd think it wouldn't hit, but they're still pretty popular around there, even even among knocked loose uh, uh, disciples. <laughs> right. Right. Huh. Well, okay. So as far as whack goes for me, I'm still working. Uh, for those of you who listen to the show, or maybe those of you who don't know, I work in a hospital. I work in an acute psych, inpatient psychiatric facility in North Philadelphia. And um, this shit is real, dog. Like, it's it's definitely not so much fun. <laughs> it's definitely the kind of thing where um, you're actually seeing the divide between care for clients in our care and the pull of capital and money. And so it's coming to a point where like it's it's a fine line to walk between like, well, we got to make sure everybody's safe versus, well, if we do this, it'll save us this kind of money. So I don't really know what we're supposed to do. Even might hurt people. And um, these kinds of decisions seem theoretical and uh, they seem like, you know, almost ambiguous. Right. But they're not like for me, that's a day to day concern. And um, it's not I'm not trying to make it a thing where it's like administrator versus worker. But at the end of the day, that's the stakes, right? Like that's what's that's what's on the line here, and um, it just sucks, man. It's it's a fucking bummer. Like, and I know I, I I get it. No one's having a good time. Yeah, sure, that's fine. But um, fact of the matter is that like I've been having to make calls about things that I didn't think I'd ever have to make calls about, and that's fucking terrible, man. Like. The fact that like you know we're required to wear respirators now and all that other stuff but the hospital doesn't have enough of them like that's that's a reality that like you know is like you know i see all these videos of people making their you know crafty masks and all that stuff on at home during their isolation time and and i appreciate the effort and all that stuff and i appreciate the, the sentiment but the reality of the situation is a lot more grim than mm-hmm. than I don't want to say like I don't want to minimize what people are doing, but also I don't want to minimize the, the dire situation that everybody in the healthcare field are in right now. And uh, that's what it is, man. Like the shit is mad serious right now. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you know, it's of course the only way that you can get any type of comprehensive news reporting in America today is through Twitter. So I've been trying to stay on touch, stay in touch that way with things. And it's just frustrating to see like people with huge audiences talking about how this isn't a real thing and it's like oh we don't have any photographs of people that are sick and all this other stuff and it's like dude like i i just don't get it i don't understand you know what i mean and, and have has, you seen a lot of people like with huge audiences talking shit yeah oh i've 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 missed it and i'm glad i have because that would send me into a fucking rage yeah it's basically i mean like it's just such a weird time to be alive right because it's like the things that are given institutions of compassion and care are not showing that, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, it's, it's at the end of the day, of course, it's a business. I get it. Right. Like everything is like a venture, 
But at the end of the day, also, like it's a different business than every other business that exists because it's it's based in the concept of caring for other people. And when that's the breakdown that's happening, it's it's hard to negotiate in terms of like my personal politic and how I want to live. And um, and these are the questions that I have to answer for myself right now. Like these are the the considerations I have to make because things aren't going the way I thought they were going to go. And um, things that I thought would happen aren't happening. And I don't think I had very unrealistic expectations of things. I, I think that, you know, you've come to rely on certain, on, on the way institutions do things, you know? And it feels as, I don't, I, I feel a little bit daunted by the American healthcare system in a way that like, I understand, right? Like, okay, everything's like by health insurance and there are all these hands in the pot and they're all like, you know, money gripping capitalists and all that other stuff. And yeah, sure. But that said, it's still an altruistic endeavor to work in this field. And when that core altruism isn't what you're seeing, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I mean, this is the this is why I'm still honestly frustrated that we're still having this healthcare conversation. Yeah. And that even in the midst of this horrible pandemic, there's still people out there like, well, our care is still better because we have private you know, health insurance. And I'm like, by what measure? The very fact that we are seriously considering if we come up with a vaccine for this thing, will we give it to people or will we make people pay for it? That's like a real live question. The fact that that's a real live question shows me the system is broken. There's yeah. no way it's not. The fact that hospitals don't have enough ventilators and then the government's like, I don't know if we should spend the money on these ventilators sort of tells me the system is broken. That whatever it is that you think we were going to get, we're clearly not getting. Because if in a situation like this, in a true emergency, the healthcare that we have can't help us and honestly can't help itself then what exactly was the motherfucking point in the first place? Like, mm. it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And yet, and yet that's where we're at, that this is like, yeah, well, I guess this is the best we can do. <sighs> what? By what measure is this the best we can do? You know what I mean? It's it's just, it's infuriating. And I, I will say, like, I get that there are parts of the country that are less affected. Technically, where I'm at is not that affected. We, we haven't had that many people. But if you, all you got to do is have a conversation with like one realistic person who lives in New York and you know that they know sometimes like 20, 30 people who are sick. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you might not know someone who's sick, but there are people who are sick. So to be out here and even when people bust out these numbers, I keep seeing people be like, everyone calm down. Only this many people are going to be affected. Only this many people are going to die. And I'm like, Let's let alone the lack of compassion you're showing for those people who will die. Those numbers are based on a good response. Like even the most optimistic numbers are still reliant on us doing the right thing. So to use those numbers as an excuse not to do anything, you're not going to get those numbers. You're going to get much higher numbers because we didn't respond. So I'm just every time people talk about it in any sort of skeptical way, I'm like, look, even if you want to be that guy. The reality is it's better for us to be safe and not have millions of dead people than it is to just be like, fuck it, just do what you want, you know? Yeah, yeah, dude. And it's like, again, we talk about these things. We've been singing songs about these things for how long now? 
you know and then to finally like get to a point where it's not just a song anymore it's a reality it's it's fucking disheartening you know what i mean it's it's the kind of thing that it's not it's not good so yeah so that's been pretty whack um let me think other than that that's been pretty much crowding my mind lately. I can't really yeah. say. Liam's yeah. been Liam's been asking me to, to to talk more on it in terms of just sharing my experience so that people can like, or well, so I could achieve some type of catharsis for myself, I suppose, and so that you know, just giving voice to that, which ails you, can be therapeutic in itself, right? In a time when, when, just living in a way that isn't hurtful, <laughs> is difficult. Yeah, and um. I well, know. I also th- I also think part of your frustration is seeing people you know not realize how tough it is. Like they they might be taking quarantining seriously, but they don't understand how on the edge health workers are. So, like to me, it's like, well, if you're frustrated that people don't know, then you should maybe tell them. Just just tell them. Just say yeah. like, this is where we're at. But I do also think it could be cathartic, just because like you guys my man Josh here is going through it right now and is really being pushed to the edge by a system that doesn't give the fuck. And, and it, it makes me upset every time I talk to you, I think, man, I'd really like to beat somebody up. Right now. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I don't know if that's going to help, but I appreciate no, the sentiment, man. Yeah. No, nah, it's just fucked up, man. And it's like, and, and I just, the uncertainty of it all is so daunting, right? Like, right. It's just so crazy. Like, we don't know when this is going to be done even, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know, man. It's just, it's fucked up from the door from jump street. It's fucked. So, um, well, I guess we better talk about movies then. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I chose some uplifting fucking ass. Oh, you know, I will say that we watched, uh, the outsider. <laughs> oh yeah. What did you think? I enjoyed it. It was fine. Um, I don't really, me and Melani watches, uh, much more like, television shows than i do like she's sure she sees a lot more like uh just long format kind of shows and i just never could i never saw the wire you know what i mean like stuff like this and i know that that's like almost heretical to say at this point but uh it's the truth and um i don't know i just never i could never watch those things just because it takes long and i guess my attention span is more more geared towards movie watching experience sure yeah so um this is one of the few like i watched stranger things and i watched um you know, Brooklyn nine, nine stuff like this, Bob's burgers. But, um, I never really watched like a long form TV show like that. So I did, and it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it very much. And, um, I don't know if it was the best thing. I don't know if it was the worst thing either though. So for my gauge, I enjoyed it very much. One of the whack things is that I'm going, however long this thing has been going on for now, I'm going that long without a band practice, and so I miss my bandmates in all yeah. of my bands. I miss uh, everyone in Cross Keys. I miss Carly for Aspect Ratio. I miss uh, Sharon. I just miss everybody, and it sucks like not having that one thing that always would sustain me in terms like my creative outlet in times of crisis has always been music. So it's always been yeah. like the thing that has like really helped me work through whatever it is that that needs working through. Right. And so I haven't had that, but on the bright side of it, um, Andrew and I had recorded a cover by smudge, which was also covered by Evan Dando of the Lemonheads for a movie called the Dow of Steve. And that song is called the outdoor type. So, uh, 
Andrew, the bass player from Cross Keys, was like, yeah, let's just record a thing. Like, you record you, and I'll record me, and then we'll put it together. And uh, I was like, well, Andrew, as a podcaster, I'm familiar with the process of recording things, so <laughs> let's just do it, right? So we did, and um, we posted funny. it today. That's very funny. It was super fun. I felt really good about it. Like, you know, I mean, like, granted, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's not the same as being in, you know, a room with, like, all your favorite no. idiots yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. doing the thing. But um, it's it was super fun anyway, you know, and we're probably going to do more just because we miss making music and that's truly the language that we share. So, um, so expect more of that from cross keys, but, um, yeah, yeah, that was, that's, that's on track. So, so that's what I got, Liam. And, uh, Oh, we watched, uh, onward the new Disney Pixar movie. Oh yeah. How was that? Super fun. It could have been called daddy issues. The movie, AKA sure, um, sure. bro flick. Um, sure. It combined, yeah. it combined animated, uh, stuff with dungeons and dragons and heavy metal and a quest and, Guess what? All about it. Fucking loved it. Mm. <laughs> it was great. Mm. And um, we also watched Call of the Wild with uh, Harrison Ford, a little grisly Harrison Ford, is uh, the movie adaptation of the Jack London book. And um, did you have to read that book in school and stuff? No, I've never read it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I had to read it in like uh, middle school and all that. So it's just funny how much of that I still remember. But um, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I like CGI dogs. It's a good time. None of them were talking, though, to Melani Chagrin because she likes talking dogs. But um, overall, it was a fun experience. It was interesting seeing Harry Ford all uh, grizzled out with a big-ass beard. He looked like a, he looked like Chuck Reagan in there. He's gone full Reagan. But um, it was cool. It was fine. I mean, it was, you know, um, it's, it's definitely like a carbohydrate kind movie. You know, a lot of flavor, not much yeah, substance kind. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, that said, I enjoyed it. It was a nice little distraction from the current hellscape that we live in. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. And uh, those are the movies cool, I saw. Yeah. But that leads us to the discussion at hand. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about... Uh, well, what should we going to talk about first? Legend of 1900 or Big Night? Uh, let's talk about Big Night first. We're gonna The topic for today is Evo movies, and we're going to talk about two movies that I picked that uh, I consider to be feel-good movies, that being Big Night and The Legend of 1900. Yeah, so after the break, that's what we're going to talk about. So. All right, we'll be right back. To discuss Evo movies without Evo. <laughs> so the movies that, that I had picked for us to watch today are Big Night, starring Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, 
and The Legend of 1900, the first English-speaking movie by director Giuseppe Ternatore, who directed Melina and Cinema Paradiso and The Star, Star Maker. Um, he even did a movie with um, Vincent Gallo, which I haven't seen yet. And that was like a more recent one, like in the 2000s. But, um, you know, Ternatore, man. So let's get into it, Liam. Which ones of these movies have you seen before? And which ones have you not? I've I have not seen either of these movies before. Oh, that's not true. I I watched Legend of Nineteen Hundred back when we first started the podcast because you cited it as a very important movie to you, and I knew about Cinema Paradiso, but I didn't know any of that director's other films at all. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Turnatory's still he's still one of my favorite. Like he's one of those guys that when I first started getting into watching movies and uh, understanding him on a level that was deeper than just like just watching right like of of a more of a participatory like viewer he is one of those directors that um i was like oh i'm gonna like this dude and he's gonna be my dude and he had like he has a very interesting and distinct visual style i really like the way he does like wind these stories out and um legend 1900 was one of those that um i i had latched onto early on in my uh film exploration and um yeah, that's why I picked it for today's episode because it definitely brings with it many good memories and good feelings of watching that movie and uh, the discovery thereof. You know, I I certainly had not seen the director's cut, which which we watched, and so that definitely added a little bit of difference and a little bit of like a new experience. As far as Big Night, you know, this is just not the kind of movie that I think I would have been excited about. I think when you suggested it, I thought, oh, yeah, that's that Stanley Tucci movie. I didn't know that he co-wrote yeah, it. I didn't he's know so that good he in it, too. co-directed it. Um, I certainly didn't know that it had my man Tony Shalhoub in it, who I think is uh. very underrated. I certainly didn't know that Isabella Rossellini was in it because that's a huge, that's a huge selling point. I'm not a huge Ian Holm fan, uh, but you know I think he's pretty interesting. So it's cool that he's in it. But really, I wish and I wish there was more of her in it. Allison Janney is a dude. Young Allison Janney in this movie is amazing. She is the best, and sh- seeing her in this was just awesome. It was really really cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can. We are we starting with Big Night? Is that what we're going to do? Whichever one you feel like, Liam. Dealer's choice. Well, you, you, I think, I think the last time you said we were starting with Big Night. All right, that's cool. Before we went to break, I think you said that. So, so let's start with Big Night. So this was written by, as I said, Stanley Tucci and uh, Joseph Tropiano, who I don't really know. He's a he's an actor as well, though, isn't he? He's like another one of those uh, '90s guys that was real big at that time. Yeah, I don't really know him though. It's kind of funny. Oh no, he's not. He's he's just a writer. Oh. He wrote this movie, and he wrote Just Desserts. So I guess food movies are his thing. <laughs> That's his um, niche. And then he sits real well in the food yeah, movie. Yeah, and then it was, and then it was co-directed by Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott. Ah, and that's Campbell, the guy. Campbell Scott is the guy you're thinking of. He's acted in a ton of things, though. I don't really know him that that well. Uh, the only other things he directed besides this, he did a version of Hamlet for TV in 2000. He directed a movie called Final in 2001, and he directed a movie called Off the Map in 2003. So, you know, uh, but he's acted in a ton of stuff, just a ton of stuff. 
Um, I think the thing he's most known for is directing this, but he was in singles. He, uh, he played he oh yeah he was the he was the 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 money dude in singles uh-huh. wasn't he and i think he was <laughs> he was uh peter parker's dad in the amazing spider-man 2 oh no yeah. shit yeah and and a bunch of tv he did a lot of tv so anyways uh for those of you who don't know this is a movie set in New Jersey in the 1950s. Two brothers, uh, they run an Italian restaurant that is, they're really trying to keep it authentic, make it like a real deal uh, Italian experience. Well, they're yes. two migrant yes, brothers. They just, they're, they're they're just two migrant come from Italy. Brothers. And the food is like not American Italian. It's very much actual Italian food, uh, which means it's not very popular. And so they're struggling to get by. They're struggling to pay their bills. Uh, it, business not going well. And there's an arrival Italian restaurant across the street. And one of the brothers is friends with the guy who runs that restaurant. The other brother hates him because he thinks the food is terrible. He actually refers at one point to the food there as rape of cuisine, which is perhaps a little dramatic. Yeah, brutal. Um, so in a final effort to save the restaurant, they plan this uh, special... Uh, evening party with uh, uh, especially amazing food, and this other rival restaurateur is going to invite his personal friend Louis Prima. <laughs> is he's going to come and he's going to eat there? So they get all these local press to come and all this stuff. So you know, it's sort of uh, I, you know, it's hard to uh, pin this down in a in a genre sense. Like it's a a tale of immigrants. It's a it's a it's a food movie. It's very much like a a, a one big night, you know. Not not yeah. to be weird about the name, but you know, there's a kind of movie that's like the one night, the one event, whatever. It's certainly like a it's like a sports movie in that way. It's like Rocky, like yeah. The, the training totally, and they're just getting totally. ready, and there's a lot of chopping, and our girl Minnie Drivers in there, and man, it's it's. Well, and it's very much a relationship movie. Like the food, it's a food movie, but it's not like Babette's Feast. Although I was thinking while I was watching it that this and Babette's Feast would make a sick double feature, <laughs> assuming you had food available. I think if you watch those two movies in a row, <laughs> you would be very hungry. But uh, but unlike Babette's Feast, like Babette's Feast is a food movie, and then it's a movie about a community. But you could argue mm. that the food is almost as important as the relationships, right? Um, in this movie, the food is important, but the relationships are far more important. So there's really just one scene that kind of functions like food porn, but it's 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 not the whole of the film. The, the whole of the film is the complicated relationships that these yeah. two brothers have, not just with each other, but with the people around them and, and the intertwining of those mm. things. Uh, and, and it's really about the relationship of immigrants to a new place. Uh, as well uh, of of that feeling of like this is our chance but also i'm very angry at this place for making it so hard for me and and all those various things so josh i you know since you picked the movie i wanted to start if that's okay with you talking a little bit about your experience with this movie and, and and what about it makes you feel that kind of like triumphant feel good thing it's a so this is a movie that i'd seen right when it came out like in nine it's a 1996 movie so i'd seen it for i don't even know why i watched it but i was with i guess i was with homies and um it was one of those like oh yeah let's just go see this movie and that's the movie that we ended up picking and um i remember i i didn't remember much detail about it because when we when i rewatched it for this episode i was like oh wow i don't remember any of this 
But then the one thing that was still there for me after watching it was the feeling at the end of like this strange acceptance and this like um, this like brothers don't have to say it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it. it so the movie, what happens in the movie is the dude who's friends of the restaurateur across the street, he ends up like getting sold on this idea that Louis Prima is coming to town and this dude's going to hook him up. Cause he goes to, he goes to the restaurant tour as like a friend to ask for money because their restaurant is failing. And, uh, he asked for a favor to see if he could help him. And the dude's like, that's too much money for me to give you. But Louis Prima and his band are coming into town and I'm friends with him. So I'm going to tell him to eat at your restaurant and it'll be a lot of good press for you guys. And that way you guys will, it'll save your restaurant. You can have this huge show of it and people are going to know how good your cooking is. Cause he can't, the, the rival restaurateur Ian Holm, he can't deny the fact that Tony Shalhoub is an amazing chef, that his creations are brilliant and that the food is really, really good that he makes. So, um, what ends up happening is Louis Prima was never invited and they, put every last cent that they have into this uh, party that they're going to have for Louis Prima because they're thinking it's going to pay off in the end. And um, it doesn't work out that way. And they end up like losing all that. Well, it, it you don't know if they like ever made any business out of it afterwards, but it's definitely one of those. It doesn't end on a positive note. But anyway, so um, this movie, upon rewatch, um, it still held a lot of the charm for me of that first viewing, which I only remember enjoying it. And, um, so when we, when, when we're coming up with a topic for today, I was just like, I just want to watch something that I remember making me feel happy. So that was, that was the movie that I picked. And I got to say, was not disappointed in this selection. Uh, the movie is, is very earnest and it's very fun, but it's also a very kinetic movie in a way that cooking movies can be very kinetic, right? Like there's like a lot of kitchen stuff and like, there's, um, a lot of the drama unfolds over like the, preparing of the meal and like you know like there's there's some yelling in there and there's they cover a lot of ground in the context of a restaurant that's about to have their night right like have about to have their their moment and um this movie the thing that resonates most about this movie with me is that it is people in a desperate situation that dare to be great and that's that's an energy that really resonates with me this concept of like, you know, this might fuck us up completely, but you know, we're just going to go for it with everything we got. And, uh, I love that shit. And that movie was, that was very present in this movie, in this viewing today. I watch it today. So I, uh, it's funny because I actually would argue that the theme between these two movies is artists unwilling to compromise. I would give you that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, our man Tony Shalhoub, it, you know, the f- conflict in the in the restaurant is that the one brother is the money guy, and so he wants to do whatever he can to keep them afloat. He wants them to be willing to make food that maybe is not tasteful uh, because it's what people want, and that way they can stay alive. They can they can their business can thrive. For the other brother. The point of cooking is the art of the cooking. It is the glory of the cooking. It is the the specialness of the cooking and and being true to uh, his own calling as a chef. And that's just not possible for him to do that um, and yeah. make things that are a compromise, or at least he feels that way. And that is part of what the movie is about, though. 
I would argue that you you're right as well. It's also about their relationship as brothers. That this is there's a family dynamic going on here, but that family dynamic is the exacerbating point. Besides the fact <laughs> that one of the brothers can't keep his his thing to himself, is that uh, this idea that you know the the question of compromise and the question of integrity and what that means and 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 what the art of cooking means mm. because when we when we finally do get to the meal right we really do see that great food uh and a table shared in great company really brings people together that's a magical moment i mean talk about a film you know what i love babette's feast i would say one of the few drawbacks of babette's feast is the awkward way that some writers of christian theology have used it to talk about uh, communion you know they want communion to be as special and as magical as Babette's feast and the, the fact is it's, it's just not it's just never going to be and they just need to let that go but uh but this movie could function in the same way in that this gathering of people who are all there for this celebrity they're all there in theory for louis prima but in reality by the end of the night no one notices, except for the a couple of people who are hung up on it, no one notices there's no Louis Prima because the meal is itself what matters. It, in reality, the, the uptight brother proves his point. The food is why people should come. Well, the real joy of the night is the food because Louis Prima never shows up. He knew he was never going to. Yeah. And no one, no one is protesting. In fact, the one reporter was there says you know i can't write about this because there was no louis prima but this is the greatest meal of my life you know what i mean so it, it, dude the scene where isabella rossellini was like thank you for probably the greatest meal of my life is so uh-huh. great. yeah especially oh, because she's married to a restaurant tour and she's like yeah she, she doesn't just say the greatest meal. she says the greatest meal i will likely ever have oh yeah it's yeah, such yeah, yeah. a pointed so, dig on her life partner oh my goodness so good though it's so good even though she's like kind of a despicable character in this movie like such a good scene man well i i think she's a she's a um i you know it's funny because i read a review of this sort of in preparation and someone felt like there were no likable characters in this movie which i I found oh such a bummer and i would even argue that isabella rossellini not that she's likable, but I actually think she's pretty sympathetic considering her role is the other woman, you know, and and the, and 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 sort of an angry, an angry kept woman in a way too. That she's married to this man who clearly doesn't make her happy, but she puts up with him because he's rich and he gives her privilege. Right? That could be played in a very shrill, offensive way. No. I don't think that's how she is at all. I found her interesting at very least and at other times charming. And even in that scene where she's clearly (laughs) being cruel to this guy, you feel like he's earned it. He's clearly playing with this other, you know, his his whole thing about Louis Prima was just to build this dude up so that then he can force him to come work for him. And and it's so cruel what he's done (laughs) that whatever she says is just, she could have stabbed him and I'd be like, yeah, that dude had it coming. You know what I mean? Like there's just, they they just really build it up. I, I I also want to talk a little bit about how um, this is a movie about, like I said, about food and like you said about um, family and brother stuff. It's, very much, though, and without being too political, you know, it's an immigrant movie. It's about 
coming someplace and really seeing that there's the possibility to start a new life, but also realizing that that requires a certain amount of compromise sacrifice too but you could argue they're already sacrificing yeah you're sacrificing in the hard work you do but sacrifice isn't enough Mm. you have to also compromise you have to also conform that's what the guy across the street is doing he's he's taking what is supposed to be his Mm. culture right and he's commodifying it now i would argue i i find some of that a little much i i will say both of these movies are about an unwillingness to compromise because of the purity of something. And I will say that for this movie, I have a lot of compassion for the brother. And though I don't agree, I think the way to play it is you just put a couple items on the menu that are bullshit and then you hide the legit items on there and someone's going to come and order the good stuff and get that they're ordering the good stuff and they'll appreciate it. I think that's how you do it. That's a rational way to do it. On the other hand, I still think his conviction to stick to his, possibly false ideal of purity is understandable it's relatable it's it's uh charming and i'm pulled into it i you know spoiler alert i'm not as convinced by our second movie in the end i think our second movie ends with me being like well that guy's just a dummy that's just dumb you know uh which is funny because it's it's well we'll get to that but in this film as much as on a practical level i'm thinking bro, there's ways to massage your menu where you don't got to close. On the other hand, I get the idea of like, that's not why he cooks. He cooks because of the art of it, because of the passion of it. And and his art is not just like dormant. Like you could argue that arguing for the purity of art when it comes to certain kinds of visual art or even music that um, it doesn't mean anything because it has no cultural attachment. So like your argument for purity is just an aesthetic claim related to a certain kind of philosophy. This guy's argument about his food has real-world implications that you can see the results of. The people at this meal are, like, transformed, man. They're, like, affected. And so, in the end, he's right. He He's he's being irrational, and maybe if he had found some way to do both, it would be better. But you can't say there isn't... He's not living in a dream world. His cooking affects people and that matters that's important you know yeah dude the scene with him and Allison Janney when he's having her taste all the stuff while he's making it for the dinner so good (laughs) just the whole awkwardness of his relationship with her and how that awkwardness dissipates when he gets to show her how he's cooking and what he's making in the kitchen I found that part to be really really charming (laughs) I liked it a lot thought it was really it's really kind you know it's cool yeah i just um i just i'm really impressed both by uh alice janney and um uh tony shalhoub tony shalhoub really this is again i mean if your only experience with tony shalhoub is monk nothing against monk i'm not about to diss monk but i'm saying that might be a limited idea of who he is as an actor i feel like this is a different kind of role for him and he really nails it he really brings a kind of depth uh to the character and 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 you know i feel compassion for a character who's kind of at times feels like an uptight jerk you know he feels kind of yeah and at times feels like an outsider all the time right Right. And, uh, he feels like the, the the parts of the movie, the nuances that he can show that he feels like an outsider to his own brother and how much that affects him 
Whereas feeling like an outsider to the regular like customer who's paying for his food doesn't really bother him as deeply as it as it does with his the his um, positioning with his brother and the way his brother sees him. Right. It's such a good performance. I thought he was so good. Well, and the fact that his brother can't be real with like they they have trouble being real with each other. They have trouble seeing each other because they already know. You know, his, you know, Stanley Tucci's character already knows what the response is going to be. Yeah. So he he hides stuff, which actually makes things worse. But you feel bad for like, at least in my viewing, I even seeing him be dishonest, even seeing him not be real it, it, with his brother, not with Minnie Driver. That relationship yeah. was just screwed up. But with his with his brother. I get it. I, I totally get it. I get mm. why he's like that with his brother. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it, as much as I felt like he was being unfair, part of me's like, yeah, but his yeah. brother is an unbending rod. You yeah, know? like yeah. I, I I'd get agree. why he's scared. Man, to talk to that him. final scene though, that final meal, like with the even when they bring out the the timpan, the what are the the timpanier part sure. where they. Yeah. That scene is that reveal when they pull it and then uh, yeah, Mark yeah, Anthony yeah, goes yeah. to touch it and they're like, no, 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 no. And then they all caress it, all three of them. It's such a good scene. It's so funny how reverent they are towards like the yeah. art that's being made in this kitchen. And um, it's so it's just such an exciting for a scene about a dinner. It's such an exciting scene to me to watch unfold. And um, especially since you know that it's like a doomed venture, right? Like that, you know, that Lou Prima is not coming. Like everybody knows that dude's not going to show up. It's three in the morning. And that's when Isabella Russellini gives up the ghost on it. Right. And she's like, tell him. Um, but still, it's such a good climactic scene. And uh, then like the, the, the fight at the end on the beach. Yeah. That yeah. part is heartbreaking. It's so brutal. I I will say, you know, one of I kind of mentioned a little bit his relationship with Minnie Driver, and we've already talked about it, and Isabel Rossellini. And so, um, again, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, he is in a relationship with Minnie Driver in which he he's being a little standoffish with her, and he's not committing and and whatever. And he's meanwhile in this affair with Isabella Rossellini who is married to his supposedly friend across the street who runs the more popular Italian restaurant and that whole thing is complicated and interesting and I think it plays off in a lot of ways however I will say I don't feel like Minnie Driver until the end is given enough to do in this movie and not that I think that she is a a great actress but I think she can be charming and I think her character is kind of lightly written until the end do you think that's true I would agree. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. You could totally have gotten a lot more range out of her. Yeah. Because essentially the only thing that she really does is, like, freak out at the end, right? Like, that's yeah. that's kind of the and bummer. She, I think she handles that well, and that final scene with her is, is pretty good. But I just think there's – there's and, and I get it. There's a lot of characters to, to juggle. But she actually has a, a good amount of screen time for us not yeah, to see much about her. And not to really know her. she She's the American. That's sort of her role is she's pretty and she's American. And she represents how, uh, you know, yeah. Stanley Tucci wants it both ways. He wants to still be himself and still be a, a real <laughs> deal Italian. 
and still get everything America has to offer. And the reality is, <laughs> yeah, you you don't get to have two girlfriends. You know, you don't get to go two ways. You you have to make hard choices, and you have to decide what matters to you. And and um, in a way, the whole movie is about him unable mm. to do that. That he knows what he wants is success, but what is he willing to do for that success? And, you know, he has this offer by this other mm. restaurateur. He could leave his brother. That would be a really bad thing in my mind, but he could do it. And the reality is he wants all the positives of betrayal without dealing with the consequences of betrayal. <laughs> yeah. You know, or without the actual action of betraying his brother. But he's so close to, he basically kind of does betray him. And that's, what's so hard about it, you know? So anyways, I really like that. I I'll say it's not, um, it's not flashy camera work, like the filmmaking, but there actually are a few shots that are really good. When his, when his brother returns, there's a point where Tony Shalhoub's character goes to see his friend who's a barber and he calls, uh, him and his, him, him and his brother's uncle, to ask about the restaurant back in Italy if they could have a job. And when he comes back, there's this long, wide shot of the kitchen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stanley Tucci comes back, and he's sort of awkwardly fidgeting. And then Tony Shalhoub comes back, and they're sort of awkwardly doing stuff. And you can tell there's the weight of what they're not saying to each other in that moment. It's so well shot. That scene is so good because of that. It's so good. That implied weight is so nascent in that but that's directly because of the camera work in that in that scene. There's a few moments like that where the camera work stands out. I'd say overall, though, it's more like just competently shot. It's not trying to be too flashy, which is also good. You know, we don't every movie doesn't need like a weird long shot or some sort of, you know, uh, yeah. split screen, whatever. Like I'm not saying that, but I am saying that um, I feel like if if your thing is that sort of very strong directorly hand, you only see it in a couple of spots, and and one of those is that that kitchen scene. It's so brilliantly shot, it really plays out yeah. that tension, you know. But uh, but there's not a lot of that. A lot of it is really this is an actor's movie. This is about actors' performances, and and it's shot in a way to really focus on that as opposed to using a lot of visual style to tell a story. It's really about those characters, but that's not a criticism. It's just a comment on the style of the movie. It works. The actors are great. I think we get almost entirely great performances. Um, And for me, this is a very charming movie that like maybe it doesn't have huge stakes for people, but to me, I don't know. I was emotionally invested and and was kind of sad that I hadn't seen it before. Yeah, no, I was way into it. I really love like the very strong debonair vibes that Stanley Tucci's giving in this movie. He's like straight up like Gene Kelly in the in the fifties. It's it's it has the aesthetic that I enjoy without the flash that uh, is so common in TV in movies the way movies are shot today. And and I mean like it's funny right because like the nineties like sometimes as a touchstone. Like movies made in the '90s don't really have that kind of art, 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 artistry that we like, right? Like it's like, like think about like um, uh, the John Woo um, Mission Impossible installment. <laughs> like it, it's like big suits and just like it's a weird look, right? Like and that I kind of characterize a lot of '90s movies in that way. This movie doesn't have that, but you could tell it's from that era. 
And uh, but that's not a knock on it. I still love that it's in New Jersey. I love that it happens in the fifties, and I love. I just love the unfolding of this story, and I love all the characters. It's totally invested in the movie from start to finish. I really liked it. So that was Big Night, written and directed, co-written and directed by Stanley Tucci. He had help on both 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 sides. But, you know, since he also stars, I'm willing to say it's his movie, if that's okay. <laughs> I, I think it's fair, yeah. I, I don't think that's a, a incorrect assumption. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I if you haven't seen it and you the thought of like a – a charming movie about family relationships, immigrants, and delicious food sounds good to you. I mean, I guess if you don't like Italian food, it won't be you know, cool. But for me, watching it, I, over and over again, I thought, mm, oh, yeah, that looks, real, that looks real good. I'd really like to put that in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dog. Yeah, good movie. Yeah, dog. Uh, so so uh, we switched to our other Italian movie. I guess that's the right. other connection. These are both Italian films. Josh finds Italy comforting, basically, is what he's trying to say. It's true. It started with it started with my Lucio Fulci. Um, oh Jesus, uh, Dario Argento love. Yeah, no, oh, it's true, Jesus. man. Italian movies have always done it for me. I don't know why. It's the truth, though. So tell us a little bit about how you sort of got into Legend of Nineteen Hundred, uh, and not just that, but like this, your appreciation for this movie is connected to the director and your appreciation for for his work. Uh, So maybe talk a little bit about that too. Though I think we've talked on this show before about loving Cinema Paradiso. Yeah, Cinema Paradiso is like top tier movie for me. Like that's one of my most favorite movies of all time. Like that movie is actually, when I think about what it is that I love about movies, that's the movie that I think of, Cinema Paradiso. Um, And it's funny because when... When I came to um, Legend of 1900, I came to it through working at um, the uh, TLA video on Spring Garden. And um, it was suggested to me to watch. And uh, I was like, well, I love Cinema Paradiso and I'm willing to give it a shot. And um, with the addition of a musical component to this movie, uh, at the time, I was completely taken by it. And um, on re- I, I, it's one of those movies that I'd seen so many times that I loved every, this is a movie that is about that visual camera style that I love that the very kinetic camera work in this movie. And, um, <clears throat> the movie is about, it's a fable. Basically it's about it's territory's first English speaking movie. And, uh, it's about the character played by Tim Roth named his name is Danny Boone, TD lemon, 1900. He is a, uh, he is found by the guy who plays Radio Rahim in uh, Do the Right Thing. I forget that guy's name. But um, he's found on an ocean liner called the Virginian. And the first day of the first uh, month of the first century, or the first year of the first century. So um, they name him 1900. And um, the story is about basically how Tim Roth's character never leaves the boat for the 30 years that he's alive. And um, he learns how to play piano and he becomes an integral part of like the staff, like the entertainment staff of the boat, because it's like a luxury ocean liner that makes the trip between Europe and America uh, right before World War Two. And um, he does this multiple times a year, like five, six times a year, they said. And he never leaves the boat for the entirety of his life. And um yeah, there's a it's it's about music, it's about whimsy, and it's there it's not really like a competitive movie, but there are competitive components to it. And um I 
on second well watching it for this episode it definitely i'd never seen the director's cut of this movie which is almost an entire hour longer than the theatrical release that i had seen so that made a huge difference to me and it definitely was uh not expected i didn't realize it until the first singing scene in the ship when um when Danny, the the father of 1900, the adoptive father, is singing with all the Stoker workers in the galley of the boat, and the the, it was definitely a, a surprise to me. But um, I still, you know, it's funny. I uh, even though it was almost three hours long, and uh, even though I'd seen it a bunch of times, seeing it with the new with the footage that I hadn't seen, definitely made it a fresher watch for me. But there are parts about the movie that didn't work so much for me this viewing as it did on the first time that I saw it, or at least parts that I was like, Ooh, that's uh, really uncomfortable. I'm not really happy with that, but overall I still do enjoy the movie. And, uh, yeah, I, I still liked it. I still thought it was, uh, it, I mean, like it still had a lot of, uh, it still hit a lot of notes for me that definitely brought tears to my eyes. And, uh, I really like Tim Roth in this movie. I think he's really, really good in it. Yeah, I, you know, I'll agree with that. I, I, at least I think he nails what he's supposed to get at. I think there's a certain Tim Roth. I'm realizing has a certain way. He's got an acting thing he does right, where he does this vocal thing. It's kind of like uh, towards the end of Reservoir Dogs, where he's like dying. You know, yeah, it's like this weird high pitched trail that he does. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he's doing that towards the end of this movie, and it kind of, it's a little bit of a like a a, a tick he has that kind of bums me out a mm. teeny bit. But I don't know. I still think he does a lot with his character. So, you know, I only watched this movie um, the for the first time because you recommended it, and the first time I watched it, I remember thinking like I was struck by the grandeur of it all it's a very sort of visually kind of stunning movie has a couple of poor cgi moments but nothing too bad Mm. and it it has this kind of like epic tall tale feel which is which is sort of how the movie functions it's really about this trumpet player telling the story to other people and kind of reliving it therefore for himself Uh, and so it becomes a movie also about memory and also about who we remember and how we remember people. And in a way, you know, 1900 is sort of set up as like not a real person. He is the story and he is the boat and he is the experience again of immigrants. This is a boat that's rooted in America's history of immigration and and America's identity as a, as a land of immigrants. There was this sort of magical figure and, and that's how this sort of that, you know, the, that mm. century kind of started, right? Um, and, and all that's there. I will say the first time I watched it, I kind of had a feeling it was moving a little fast. It kind of reminded me of the first time I watched um, Once Upon a Time in America mm. or Once Upon a Time in Brooklyn. Um, some of those like kind of epic sort of grandiose films that feel a little choppy. And then you find out there's a director's cut. So the first time I watched it, I thought it was cool, but it felt kind of, it was going real fast. It was kind of choppy to me. It felt like, it felt like uh, we're going a million miles an hour for what is still kind of a long movie with this film watching the directors. Wait, so this was the first time you saw the, this is the first time I saw the director's cut. And what's funny is I did not feel that way with this director's cut everything you need to know and more is there nothing feels glossed nothing feels rushed 
quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Really, it's like some magical scenes, like some really magical moments when he first meets him. When the when, when the, the boat is going all over the place and he the, he's falling yeah, all over the place and the pianos you know floating around that that's amazing. Um, the some of the scenes where he's playing piano and people come to see him because they've heard of him before or. The, you mean the whole Clarence Williams scene? Yes, 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 yes. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of like really strong individual stuff, but the movie doesn't have a lot of at least in this director's cut version, it doesn't have as much narrative energy. It's not that dynamic. Uh, it it just plods. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like the the shorter the shorter cut definitely gives a lot more energy to the narrative. And I think this is a movie that definitely does not. But I think this was the actual Italian release of the movie. This is how it was meant to be. And um, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just spoiled by the the quicker pace of the, the U.S. theatrical release version of it. Because, I mean, like, even though, like, the sequences were cool, like, I really did like the singing at the beginning because this is mostly a non-musical musical, right? Like, it's not like people break into song or anything except for that very, very first scene after um, the baby shits himself in the makeshift uh, cradle and uh, then everybody's singing and, like, it's germane to the plot, you know? Which is not, you know, that's that's a thing for, for musicals, but this movie is not a musical in that way. But that said, um, the rest of the added stuff, like there's a lot of discussions that happen. They don't really move the story. Like Turnitory is such that his directing style benefits a lot from the stuff that's not said in the movies. For example, there is a director's cut of Cinema Paradiso that I refuse to watch because in the movie there's further ex- in in Cinema Paradiso there's one character that that comes into um, to the kid's life and he falls in love with this girl. And um, in it's like a summer romance, and then all of a sudden she just like disappears, like she goes back to school or whatever. And then, like, there's a sense of longing that he has, and this like that he misses her, but she's just gone. And apparently, in the director's cut, she comes back. And I see that's that's a an inclusion that I think takes away from because Turnitori is mostly a director that works with the feelings of his scenes. Right. Like even though everything is narratively germane and even though everything's part of this bigger storyline, the bigger story is how these scenes make you feel. And in Cinema Paradiso, that sense of loss and adolescent love and sense of innocence and everything, that's that is the best part of that movie. So in a director's cut that takes that away or at least kind of battens it down a little bit with a little bit more dose of a second reality or whatever. I didn't I don't need to see that and I don't need to rob that movie of the magic of that feeling. And I kind of feel like a lot of the exposition that went into the director's cut of this movie of Legend 1900 took away a lot of the whimsy of the movie. That might be true. I, I like I think you're more familiar with the movie. You know, I only watched the non-director's cut once. So this time it's only when you brought it up that I was like, "Oh, that's why this is so different." that I remember it because I'm watching basically a different movie in some ways, you know? Um, and it, and I didn't have the same sense of whimsy, but I, 
did feel the like when the first time I watched the um, not director's cut, uh, the U.S. theatrical was that it did mm. feel like not a full story. It felt truncated despite its length. So it's sort of a here or there, you know. I, I could see mm. some people preferring this version. For my taste, though, I mean, here's the issue for me. In both versions, I'm left with the same feeling, which is that <laughs> yeah, he should get off the fucking boat. Like this, I'm not compelled, you know. So as Josh said... The point here is that he doesn't leave the boat and, and it crescendos towards this moment where um, the trumpet player realizes they're going to mothball. They're going to destroy the boat. And so he's telling this everything that you're learning about 1900 is him sort of explaining it to other people. And so you're seeing these flashbacks. And so it all sort of comes to this moment where he finally gets 1900 to reveal himself. Yeah. Um, uh, which really kind of solidifies, by the way, 1900 as the spirit of the boat and the spirit of the age. Uh, and the suggestion that the age had to go away after world war two is clearly not true. And you know what I mean? Especially since this <laughs> yeah, movie came yeah. out in the nineties by the nineties. It would make more sense if the movie ended uh, during Vietnam. Like, you know what I mean? Like during, you know, some other, like the idea, like, and then it all crescendos just after World War II in the 50s. <laughs> is that true? I mean, even jazz isn't actually over in the 50s. The movie sort of yeah. suggests like, well, as 1900 goes, so does the jazz age. Except for a lot of people's favorite jazz records came out in the fucking 60s. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just the whole thing for that end doesn't work but i'm getting distracted what i want to focus on is there's a scene where he has this final you know conversation with 1900 and tim roth again there's some ticks to tim roth's acting that distract me a teeny bit but overall he nails the scene of explaining why he's not going to get off the boat but the as much as he's acting the hell of it content of the speech is stupid it's just a stupid speech so his whole theory is like look you know in within the context of a piano there are you know whatever 82 88 i forget how 88 keys and so within that you're the infinite capacity yeah within on that a finite limited keyboard. thing you the infinity is yourself you are the infinite once you get out and there's unlimited possibilities you realize how limited you are you're no longer infinite you can't create infinite patterns with infinite possibilities uh and i guess that's technically true but as far as that being such a, a compelling reason to kind of give up because you you can't really be the person that you see yourself as like big, big fucking deal you know like that's everyone here here's a simple reality let me just fill everybody in. If you're over the age of 30 and you're still living in a world where you think, well, it's hard to make decisions because I have infinite possibilities, you fucking don't. Nobody does. Even Bezos doesn't have infinite possibilities. He has all the money in the world. No one has infinite possibilities. Yes, there are <clears throat> technically infinite possibilities in the universe, but your possibilities are still limited by who you are, history and circumstance and resources and privilege. Like, all of these factors come together. You might have, in theory, the ability to go anywhere in the world, but in reality, you might not have the resources, or if you have the resources, you might not have the interest, or if you have the interest, you might not have the ability to interact with people. You know what I mean? There are so many factors 
physical and personal. There are so many decisions, you know, you're limited both by your circumstances and physicality, but also by your own uh, uh, mind frame, by your own culture, yeah, by, your, by own, your own vision. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't actually imagine all the possibilities. And so the idea that like, because there are so many possibilities, you couldn't possibly get past it is just, to me, not real. Now, if what we're saying is, my man lived his whole life on this boat, and as part of some sort of weird death cult, he's just like, look, I'm unwilling to accept a reality outside of what I've known, so I'm going to stick with it. That feels like a real thing, but that's not beautiful to me. Like that's That could be what the movie's about, but then the ending is not beautiful. I think that the movie's... The movie's more about the concept of a creation, sure. though, of the sure. concept of this creation of music and that process. And, and like, you know, it's that confusion of process and art, right? Like, is it the process or is it the art that people respond to? And and in this movie, I it's definitely, I mean, I get that it's this discussion of, like, whether or not you're going to live. But it's also, like you were saying on Big Night, whether the integrity of that which you've, the rules by which you've defined your life. Yes. So in... Yes. 1900 has integrity, but his integrity, unlike the chef, I feel like his integrity is for nothing. It serves nothing. It's just for himself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's just some part of me that, like, his integrity is off-putting and makes me feel like he's just living in a false sort of paradigm. Whereas Primo's integrity in Big Night, I get it. Even if I think he also could compromise and it wouldn't be the end of the world, I get why he does it. With 1900, I'm like, ah, you can't even let him record your music, man. Like, what's going on? Like, what's the deal right now? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I found it more difficult to connect to. And then the other aspects that I'm sure you were, thinking about are also weird to me you know his big love story is uh, uh what seems to be a prepubescent girl so that's weird that's super awkward yeah no that's really really uncomfortable and then he sneaks in and gives her a kiss gross while she's sleeping. super not gross that. not so good yeah definitely not making me happy I, you know the, again the at the time this was not a, a huge thing but it's now become a thing another movie talking about jazz that only has like one person of color in the whole movie it's weird it's a weird thing like you know what i mean like what why is what is that about you know what i mean there's like there's you know the what's his name jelly roll yeah and then there's like jelly roll more there's some yeah and then there's some like uh spanish-speaking folks who work in the in the guts and you know uh, now the beginning of the movie he's raised partly by uh an african-american man and we see some more people of color shoveling coal but it is weird to have only one black jazz musician in a movie that again it's not only about jazz it's not a movie about jazz alone but it, in order to be part of that time period jazz is a huge part of the movie because that's what was going on mm -hmm. yeah no i get that and again it's it's but i it, it's awkward. I still let's let, but here's the thing though. I will say I think the movie overall is still very charming. It's just the I, the thing that ends up not being Big Night ends as you pointed out on a bit of a sour note. It's probably true that the restaurant's not going to come forward, but the fact that the brother's still 
maybe love each other or still feel a connection. That makes me feel good. I actually feel good at the end of Big Night, even though it's not whatever. This movie also, in theory, ends on a sour note, but it doesn't treat it that way. I think the movie treats the ending like you should feel some sense that it's like complete or aesthetically justified and instead it ends and i'm like well that was a little depressed i it it doesn't other parts of the movie do lift me up there is that whimsy of of 1900s life but you know especially in a movie like the version we watch is like three hours long you know there's probably only an hour's worth of whimsy maybe an hour 15 the rest of the movie is kind of a fucking bummer (laughs) yeah yeah, the whimsy ratio is put off. Yeah, the whimsy ratio goes way off with the addition of the extra hour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I'm at that point where I can't tell if it's nostalgia that really makes me still love this movie, or if it really is a good movie still to me. And that's I don't. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just you know I think it could be better if it had worked out. I or let me put it a different way. The the. I'm not saying it doesn't accomplish its goals and I, and I, and you should respect any movie that accomplishes its goals but I will say its goals don't necessarily resonate mm. with me. You know what I mean? So so I'm not sure that it completely undercuts what it's trying to do or anything like that, but if it's trying to do what I feel like it's doing, then I'm kind of not that into it. Uh that being said, not just uh Tim Roth, but uh who's his co-star, the guy with the trumpet? Um, the dude with the eyes. He's got those crazy eyes crazy in eyes. this entire movie. Crazy and, eyes. And like, they're shaking the whole time. Dude. That's his thing. That's what he does. He does the shaky eyes. Oh, my goodness. Um, that would be Pruitt Taylor Vince. I think he's good in this. I don't like him in everything, but I think he's good in this. You know, I think he, he has it. And a lot, there's a lot of tangential side performances that are actually pretty strong. So, like, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie works overall. I just think that in the end, it just doesn't get to where I don't, it sort of ends in a way where I'm kind of like, well, I don't know that you quite got to where you needed to go. I think my salient takeaway from watching it today was um, the idea that my taste in movie watching has actually changed and maybe even matured a little bit. So if there's any if there's any weird uplift to this movie for me, it's the fact that um, I didn't love it as much as I loved it the first time I saw it, probably because of the extra hour in it, but also because I think that my palette and actually what I uh, consider to be good in film has shifted from the time when I first saw this movie. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that that's, for me, that's a positive. Sure. Well, there's a lot on this. I, I will say this movie is, a, there's a lot on the surface. It doesn't ask much of its audience in the sense of like everything is out there. And I don't think that's a bad thing per se. I would say the same thing about cinema Paradiso mm. and that movie works for me in every way, but this film in the same way, like if you're looking for something that asks you to think or asks you to whatever, like engage a little bit more, that's not really what this is doing. I think it's, I think it has a lot of moments that are, that are a little more epic and a little more uh, didactic in what they're trying to tell you. Um, but that again, that's that's not a huge deal for me you know and and i feel like the story starts off kind of compelling is what would it be like to live your entire life on this ship where you technically are meeting thousands upon thousands of people like he 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 interacts with a huge community of people riding on this ship going to the new world trying to build a new life like there is a lot of humanity there 
but he just never leaves. Mm-hmm. And I just don't I get it. I get it. feel him never leaving as a justified choice, at least not by the end. Yeah, but it's the relationship between him and Max Toomey, between 1900 and Max, is is definitely, I mean, the, the that's what makes the emotional gravity of that last scene for me when he's like, you're the only person who knows I ever existed. And, man, it's so lonely. It's so brutal, but it's so beautifully done. And um, that's one of the things I still love about this movie. So there you go. Yeah. Between the two of them, I, I, I think they still kind of carry the movie. And, and, and there, there are other good performances, too. And some of them are a little bit caricaturish, But, you know, I, I, I still think it works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing. I think the thing, though. Uh, uh, the again, I don't want to keep slamming this movie, but that that moment landed for me. Except for part of me was like, "But you chose that." Like he made decisions yeah. to stay hidden, <laughs> and then he's talking to his friend, like, "Well, no one even knows I'm alive." I'm like, "Yeah, but you could have been the most famous musician of all time." You've the movie has set it up that he's choosing to not be that, and then for him to lament that in his death is weird for me. <laughs> still i i still think it's 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 good i just you know i uh i just found myself a little frustrated and again that might have been just exacerbated by the fact that it is in the director's cut a lot longer so i have a lot more time to think about the movie and about what the movie's telling me whereas you know again not that the the other theat- the theatrical version is so much shorter it's still a long movie yeah, it's still but two it's, hours yeah it's a full yeah, it's a full hour shorter, <laughs> basically. And so that's yeah, that's a big I would deal. Agree. I would agree. Well, if 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 you haven't seen it, I still think you should see it or just go back and rewatch Cinema Paradiso. I would suggest watching the the, the US theatrical version. Just saying. Just saying. That's just me though. Still, these were definitely <laughs> um uh fun movies to watch during this time because they weren't about um total failure or about sickness or about um uh, an economy collapsing i mean i'll be honest i've made the comments about movies people should watch right now like i'm like oh people should check out the andromeda strain or omega man or whatever but the reality is the fact that like a movie like outbreak or uh contagion is trending i'm like what is wrong with people that they're like oh that's what i want to watch right now you know what i mean like if we were if we were going through a real life climate disaster i wouldn't be like yo put in the day after tomorrow yeah for sure i'm just feeling that right now yeah, <laughs> yeah. not the choice side note definitely I had a friend not who's in a band called Two not days into till it. tomorrow <laughs> what a terrible name for a band oh yeah come on man hey so that what? was uh that was episode 109 yeah it was done and done thank you so much for listening if you listen this far and uh Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on wherever you on iTunes and wherever else you listen to uh, podcasts. Do us a favor, check out the Patreon. Think about becoming a supporter of the show. It really helps. You know, we're we're doing this stuff, and we'd love to be able to compensate people for the work that they're doing. And we're just not there yet, so we would love to have that as an opportunity. Uh, follow us on social media. We're Cinepunks on Facebook. 
Twitter, Instagram. It's all spelled the same as the website, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. So find us wherever that is. Uh, And just, you know, tell a friend. If you like the show, find someone that you're friends with and uh, say, hey, have you checked out the show yet? You should check it out. Uh, And, you know, thanks to everyone involved with the site. We've just really felt like the team is coming together. Uh, And we love you guys, and we hope that everyone stays safe, that you guys uh, continue to stay inside, uh, and that hopefully we're going to come through this uh, not just in a world that we still recognize, but hopefully in one that's kind of like learned a lesson and been a little bit better. Uh, I don't know if that's likely, but that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Yeah, man. And uh, thank you, Liam, for being my partner in this. Well, I love you, Josh, so much. I love I'm you so too, glad buddy. We get to do this together, uh, and we're gonna try y'all to like be regular. It's you know, I know people are so many people are talking about how they have so much free time, but as we sort of alluded uh, elucidated on the show, we don't have so much free time. <laughs> so you know, hopefully, it won't be too long till you hear from us again. But we'll appreciate you coming back when we get a new episode out there. So thank you so much for being a listener. All right, thank you guys. Episode one hundred and nine done. Smoke bomb. Bye. Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. Ha 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 ha!